you saw that short video. Uh, that reminds us that we live in a, in a culture of conflict. Our values, Christian values, biblical values, constantly and regularly collide with the values of our culture. It's, as we say many times, what you believe dictates how you behave. And that's why there is such a difference, the difference in beliefs between our culture and uh, the Bible and what we believe creates conflict uh, in our lives and in, our, in living in this world. I read an example of this. Uh, you may be aware of a court case that is now starting to move forward. Uh, five years ago, Washington Elementary School District in Arizona contracted with Arizona Christian University to permit students who were studying to be teachers to come and work at the elementary school and in the district. Uh, that way they gained experience, they fulfilled credits, and they were able to, to work. And that, that's been going on for five years. Uh, this past February, the school board uh, voted to dissolve the partnership and the contract with Arizona Christian University. And the school board wasn't shy about its reason. Explicitly, the school board members attacked Arizona Christian University for its commitment to biblical values and to Jesus Christ. One board member who initiated the motion to dissolve the contract uh, stated that she contends that she is advocating LGBTQ values, and she said, quote, my concern is when I go to Arizona Christian University's website, they are, quote, committed to Jesus Christ, accomplishing his will and advancing his will on earth as in heaven. She criticized ACU's mission to teach biblical values, to advance a Christian worldview, to impact the culture for Christ. She said, at some point, we need to get real with ourselves and take a look at who we're making legal contracts with and the message that is sending to our community. Alongside her, another board member who also advocates for LGBTQ causes blasted Arizona Christian University for, quote, teaching with a biblical lens, unquote. He said he, he was concerned when he looked, quote, he looked into not only their core values, but their statement of faith, which they asked their students to sign and to live by. And he explained proselytizing is embedded into how they teach. I just don't believe that belongs in our schools. This is the direction our culture is going. They're not in the least bit shy any longer at saying we disagree with biblical values because they are in conflict with our values. The irony of it is, of course, especially where children are concerned, if you hold biblical values, you value children. Uh, there, there's a, a deep-seated misunderstanding in, in everything going on there. And I, I would add, by the way, uh, uh, on the 30th is Compassion Sunday here. Amy Myers will be talking about Compassion International and how you can support that great ministry as well. Because that's what Christians do. And that's what we have always done. But as time progresses, the world is becoming less and less willing to accommodate biblical values and more and more unashamed to press Christians out of the culture and deny us a voice in the culture. We shouldn't be surprised by that. That's what God said would happen. As we approach the end of time, more and more we will see Christians sidelined 
until ultimately persecuted for a biblical worldview, for biblical values, for applying that in our culture. Persecution's already rising. And I'm going to talk about that in the next few weeks. But persecution is rising in our culture to the point that I believe now more than ever we need to focus in on how we live in this culture going forward. Uh, we can no longer assume that we live in a culture that is kind or amiable to Christian values. Instead, we should assume we live in a culture uh, and a world that is hostile to Christian values because we do. And the sad truth is that many Christians think, well, I, I won't rock the boat. I won't, I won't press anything much. But that's not really the decision we're making. If we're making a decision to live for Christ, we are rocking the boat. Uh, Jesus was very specific. This is why people hate Jesus. He's not, he wasn't a generalist. He didn't come along and say, hey, however you feel, that's okay with me. Whatever you want to believe about God, that's all right with me. Uh, if you want to say this is a sin and that's not a sin, that's okay with me. He was not a generalist. He was very specific. And one of the most specific things he said is, through me and me alone, you come to the Father. There's no other way. Through Christ and Christ alone, the Bible teaches, you are forgiven of your sins and have eternal life. There's no other way. We have reached a point in our culture where the collision is accelerating and becoming more and more heated. Are we ready? Are you ready? Maybe you're living in that kind of environment now. Maybe you live in a workplace. Maybe you have a neighbor. Maybe you have family members. And your values consistently collide with their values. And the conversations become more and more heated and argumentative. When before, maybe four years ago, five years ago, you could have a civil conversation. You could agree to disagree. You could talk about your biblical values. And uh, they might huff and puff but not argue. But now it's different. Now it's different. And it's going to move more and more in that direction. Starting this morning and for several weeks ahead through the summer, we're going to saturate ourselves in the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Because the book of 1 Peter is about this. It's about living for Christ. It's about living in a world with the hope of Christ when that world is hostile toward your values and your beliefs. If you have your Bible, go ahead and find with me the book of 1 Peter. And I want to lay some groundwork and help us understand why this book applies so much today, just as it did in the first century. Uh, Peter wrote this letter, the Apostle Peter wrote the letter of 1 Peter around A.D. 64 or maybe 65 to a group of Christians who, are, who were in regions that, are, that now encompass what is modern-day Turkey. And as we read the text in a moment, he'll list some of those places. So what was happening in A.D. 64 that required a letter to talk about how to live in a world that's growing increasingly hostile toward your faith? In July of A.D. 64, Rome burned. Uh, the fire started in, in the mercantile district, in, which was adjacent to the entertainment district. And back in those days, especially in a hot summer sun like July in the city of Rome, fire would spread very rapidly, and it did. Uh, and a host of houses and stores in the entertainment district were completely destroyed. The fire was under control in about six days, but then it reignited, and by the time it was over, two-thirds of the city of Rome had burned to the ground. Now, a lot of people then, as well as now, although there's no proof for it, believed that Emperor Nero himself 
paid people to start the fire. There's a belief in history that Nero himself wanted to rebuild Rome and in doing so to get rid of areas that hosted poverty and squalor. He wanted to drive people out and rebuild Rome in a different glory and, and his name be remembered for this. So there's a lot of belief that he either, he either started the fire himself, which is unlikely, but more likely maybe paid people to go into the mercantile district and to start the fire. You've heard of the saying, fiddling while Rome burns. Uh, that saying comes from the fact that it is known that while Rome burned, he was perched at a place where he could watch and he played his lyre, which is a stringed instrument, while he watched Rome burn. But the backlash of the burning of Rome was so great, he needed a scapegoat. Pretty soon people were starting to wonder if Nero had done this or if he had instigated it. So he needed a scapegoat. And who did he pick for his scapegoat? The Christians. And suddenly there was a government-sponsored persecution of Christians throughout Rome that was quickly spreading into the Roman Empire itself, starting in the city of Rome. So Christians started fleeing from the city of Rome and many of them fled into what is now modern Turkey. Uh, it's important to underscore at this moment, by the way, that this same persecution in about three years from the burning of Rome would, be, would lead to the execution of both Peter and Paul. They were both executed by Emperor Nero at his order in the winter of 67 and 68 A.D. So Peter knows what he's talking about when he instructs Christians that they, they need to understand how to live in a world where they are not welcome. That's our world now. That's our world. And it's going to become increasingly more so as time goes on. We're going to start reading this morning at Peter's introduction. Just a couple of verses. Peter's introduction to 1 Peter, and as he opens the letter, the first thing he does is fortifies the identity of believers who have fled from Rome, fortifies their identity by, remember, by reminding them who they are in Christ. And with that, I want to I give you a basic principle. And there are some principles threaded through the whole letter. There are some themes threaded through the whole letter. We'll meet a few of those this morning. But there's a basic principle that you can pocket away or scribble in the margin of your Bible, and it's very simply this. Who you are in Christ matters more than where you are in the world. Who you are in Christ always matters more than where you are in the world. In fact, we could say nothing matters more than who you are in Christ, and it doesn't matter where you are in the world, where you're living, what you're doing. There was a common practice, in fact, to drive Christians out of their homes under Emperor Claudius, we find out in Acts chapter 18, under Emperor Claudius, uh, just about six years before the, excuse me, about, about, well, more like 20 years, actually, before the fire of Rome, Claudius drove Christians out of Rome and turned their homes over to non-Christians to plunder and pillage everything they had. It was common in that world. We've become so comfortable, we, we don't expect anything like that to ever happen to us, but it's coming. It's coming down maybe sooner than we ever expected. So the question is, how do we live for Christ when these collisions happen? And how do we remember, can we remember who we are matters more than where 
we are. That's what Peter fortifies at the front end of this letter. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. The letter begins, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He is writing the letter, and in those days, they wrote on scrolls, and when you opened the scroll, you had to know who it was coming from. When you and I write a letter, we start out, Dear Bob, and at the end of that, you sign it. Your loving wife, Kim. But in the ancient world, when they opened the scroll, they wanted to know who that was coming from. So he starts off, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Imagine those Christians far away from home, persecuted, chased out of the city of Rome, and they unroll that and say, and it says, grace and peace to you who are chosen. Chosen. Because their circumstances certainly didn't seem like they were chosen. Their circumstances, if anything, seemed chaotic and difficult. And they may even be asking, what was God thinking? Was I right to follow Christ? Here I am with nothing, and they're still chasing me down. What's going on? But right off the bat, Peter reminds them, you are chosen. You are chosen of God. Some of your Bibles might translate the term elect. You are the elect of God. It means the same thing. It means that God in his foreknowledge, in his knowing of you, knew the day would come when you would trust Christ as your Savior, still your decision, but he was putting people in your life, putting the Word of God in your life, putting the Bible in your life, uh, in all kinds of ways, God was leading you closer and closer to Christ until you made that decision for him. And Peter reminds us all that, that this was no accident. We are chosen of God for our time, for our place, to live for Christ now. But he specifies who he's talking to, exiles, exiles, dispersed throughout the empire dispersed throughout Asia Minor and Turkey. Uh, this is a technical term in the Bible. It refers to what was known in history as the diaspora, the, the, the spreading out of Jews throughout the world. In fact, what we're going to see in the scripture is, is right away Peter underscores a basic truth. Phenomenal for a Jewish man of his day, he has come to this understanding through knowing Jesus Christ, through coming a believer in Christ, through serving Christ faithfully as long as he has, through the other apostles being saved, through knowing the apostle Paul, he has come to this understanding that the church of Jesus Christ anywhere in the world is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. God's people are the church. God's people are the church. Prior to the coming of Christ, prior to the church being born, with the Holy Spirit coming, the chosen people were always referred to as the Israelites, the Jews. They were God's chosen people. And they were exiled throughout the world, dispersed wherever they were throughout the world. But now he applies that to Christians. He says, we are God's chosen people. You are God's chosen people. And wherever you live, you are in Christ. Peter intentionally means a double meaning here that will guide us through this study for the weeks and even months to come. It's the fundamental principle that they are physically removed from their homes, but that's just a reminder 
that we are already in exile. We are already far away from home. We are not home yet. We live for Christ. We're citizens of heaven, of the kingdom of God. We are on earth. We are in this world, but we belong to heaven. We belong to Christ. We belong to his kingdom. We are all exiles in that sense. And we are all living for Christ as exiles just like that. So if the pressure comes on a little more, and if you're in the ancient world and you had to move even because of your faith, you were driven out because of your faith, if that were to happen, it didn't change a whole lot because you were already exiles in this world, resident aliens. You're, you're citizens of another kingdom, but you're living in this world for Christ. Chosen of God to do just that. When we look on the chaos and the confusion of our culture, I'm not an alarmist. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to say, hey, you know, tomorrow everything's going to fall apart. Don't, don't get that from me. But, but you would either have to be ignorant of God's word or extremely naive to not see it coming. And I would offer that probably many of you in this room and at home right now in the workplace, in your families, in your neighborhood, at times you're pressured to conform at times you're ridiculed for your faith. At times you're denied the opportunity to express your faith. The Bible teaches that that will grow. So how do we live with hope? How do we live with hope in a hostile world? A world that is hostile to our values and to what it means to be a follower of Christ. Let's go back to Peter's opening for just a minute. As he fortifies Christians in their identity... He reminds them of who they are. Let's go there with him. Remember who you are in Christ. Not where you are living, not where you're at right now, but who you are in Christ. That's what matters more than where you are. So Peter says the first thing to remember is that God chose you for his purpose. God chose you for his purpose. I love that Peter opens the letter, and we know the practical reason. So when they open the scroll, they see it's from Peter. But we cannot miss how he self-identifies here. The Apostle Peter, an Apostle of Jesus Christ. If you remember when Jesus met Peter, when Peter met Jesus, he was still going by the name Simon, son of Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonah. He was Simon, he is Simon, and yet he chooses to refer to himself by the name Jesus gave him on that occasion, and that Jesus gave him in Matthew 16, you are Peter, the rock. He adopted the identity that Jesus Christ gave him. Not that the world gave him, but that Jesus gave him. For the purposes of God. For what? Being an apostle. A sent one, literally, of Jesus Christ. That's the first way he identifies himself. Never forget, you're sent by Christ. You live in this world for him. If you're a follower of Christ. So he says, I'm talking to you, the chosen, and first of all, you were chosen by the foreknowledge of God, and not just God, but God the Father. You were chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father. Don't let the term foreknowledge, don't get hung up on that too much. It does mean that God foreknows what's going to happen, but the term translated there has more to do with God's purposes. That means that God purposes in history what will happen, and God knows your history in his history, and when you're following Christ, God puts you in his history where he wants you to be. And you are chosen for a purpose. God didn't save you and choose you 
and elect you to salvation just to send you out all by yourself and say, have a great day. See you when you get to heaven. No, God knows that now you are a citizen of his kingdom and you are serving him in this world and he has purposes for you while you're here. And to the believers, Peter was writing to, and remember for all of us when the pressure comes, the persecution might grow, remember that doesn't change God's purposes. That doesn't change what God is doing. If you're sick and you go to the doctor, you get a diagnosis. A diagnosis tells you what the problem is. You have the flu. You have COVID. You're making stuff up. Whatever the problem is, the diagnosis tells you that. Then the doctor might give you a prognosis. The prognosis is when the doctor says, this is how I think this is going to go. It's almost, and the term literally means a foretelling of what we know to come. It's a, it's a guiding principle. It's saying, this is the direction this is probably going to take. And, and if you've had that happen, you know that right after that, the doctor says, now here's what you need to do. If you want to go this way, do this. If you want to go this way, do that. I recommend this. The term translated foreknowledge is the Greek word that gives us our English word prognosis. It means that God knows what direction he has planned for you in his purposes. He knows how this is going to come out. And when you trust him, he puts your history into his history. That's what God does. That's God's intention. And believer, listen, just like for the first believers in that first century, it's who you are in Christ that matters more than where you are. God's purpose does not change. God's purpose cannot be muted or erased by what's happening in this world. If you're in a situation where the pressure is on, you might be ridiculed for, ridiculed for your faith, you might be denied opportunities to talk about your faith, like the students at ACU, you might, you might even be denied opportunities to advance in your job for no other reason than your biblical values. Stand firm. God has put you there for a reason. God knows your place in his history, and you were chosen by him for that. You didn't accidentally filter into there. God the Father put you there for his purposes. So Peter says, first of all, remember, remember, you, God chose you for his purposes. And second, he says, remember this also, uh, God is changing you. You are cha being changed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, as we read it a moment ago, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now, all this is part of being chosen. So you're, you're being sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is working in you. Now, what does that mean? It means that, in the meantime, while you're serving Christ on earth, while you're, you're, you're going through what you're going through, while you're living out the purposes of God, you know what he's doing? The term sanctifying means he's making you holy or making you into the image of Christ. He's making you like Jesus. And here's the thing. If you know your Bible... Here's the question, how can you be like Jesus without a little bit of pressure along the way? So look at your situation like that. That's how God works. He, the Holy Spirit of God is at work in you. It also means, just because the pressure is on doesn't mean God has abandoned you. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit can use your situation to make you more like Jesus Christ. 
and to impact the people around you all the time. Now push a pause button with me right here and pay attention to something. We, we're barely through the two verses we read. And you'll notice the Apostle Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, raised a Jewish man, has already invoked the Christian view of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, I serve Jesus Christ, he says. You were chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father, he says. You are being sanctified through the work of the Holy Spirit, he says. An explicitly Christian view of God is that God is one God in three persons. Explain that, Pastor Bob. The good news is I can't. I can't explain that, but we know from Scripture that it's true. And right, hat, right now, right here, we have an image of, of what God is doing and that each person of the Trinity, how He works. God the Father orchestrates what God is doing. His purposes, His foreknowledge. God the Son, Jesus Christ, implements what the Father orchestrates. He died on the cross. He called Peter out to be an apostle. God the Holy Spirit then activates and actualizes the plan of God in salvation. He is sanctifying you. He seals your salvation, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, to the day of redemption. God's got a hold of you if you're a believer. Father, Son, and Spirit loves you if you're a believer. And Father, Son, and Spirit are working in your life to make you more like Jesus Christ than for the purposes of God. God knows what He's doing. You know why some Christians are so weak against the pressure of our culture? Or worse, we just don't care. We don't stand for Christ. We don't care about what's happening in our culture. It goes down to the very simple truth that we don't know what we believe. You know, what we believe always dictates how we behave. And sometimes we just don't know what we believe. Last year, Lifeway Christian Research and Legionnaire Ministries joined together to study the condition of Christian theology among Christians in churches. Now pay attention to this. They didn't choose somewhere out there Christians that, that never go to church. No. They chose what we call evangelical Christians. These are Bible-believing, or they say they believe the Bible, going to church, singing in choirs, believing in missions, believing in evangelism. Us, in other words. Christians like us. So they surveyed them, and the first thing they found out was that a staggering number of these Christians did not believe the Bible was literally true. 53% did not believe the Bible was literally true. And that had grown since the last time the study was done in 2014. So they continued. And in their report, in the study, they said they, they came up with the five most common mistaken beliefs by Christians, evangelical Christians, founded in the fact that they don't know what the Bible teaches. The five most common. Jesus isn't the only way to God. Jesus was created by God. By the way, both of those things are absolutely unbiblical. Because the second one says Jesus is not God. He was created by God, but he is God. So not surprisingly, the third one is 43% said Jesus is not God, just a good teacher. And 60% said the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. No wonder we're not making any impact on our culture. We have no idea what the Bible actually teaches. Christians have no idea what the truth is about God. 
How can you fortify yourself in your identity of being chosen of God, living in exile in this world, if you don't even know who God is? You know what the fifth mistaken belief was by all these Christians who say they study the Bible, but they don't know the Bible? It was that human beings are not actually sinful, but we're inherently good. We don't need a Savior. So we can shut down, folks. We can all go home. No, no, no. If we're going to be available for God for His service, if we're going to live out the purposes of God, if we're going to stand firm in a culture that's growing increasingly hostile toward Christians, we've got to know what we believe, what the Bible actually teaches, and we have to live what we believe. And the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit of God the third person of the Trinity, a person, not a thing, not an it, is sanctifying you, making you holy, working in your life. He's the one that tells you when you're falling to temptation. He's the one that's telling you right now you need to be studying your Bible. Yep, that's him. That's not me. That's him. He's the one that reminds you of people you need to reconcile with. He's the one that reminds you to pray for people who need Christ. He's the one that reminded you today, church starts at 11. Yeah. That's what he does. He's making you more like Jesus Christ. And remember Peter's message. It's who you are in Christ, not where you are in the world. So persecuted Christian, pressured Christian, Christian being called to conform to the culture, remember, God is still working in you, and he can use your circumstances to make you more like Christ right where you are. Now, you notice the first two reminders that fortify our identity in Christ are both things that God is doing. God does those. But the third thing Peter brings up is something that we have to respond to. It's something we are doing. So he says, remember, God calls you to service. God calls you to service. When you came to faith in Christ, it was not just so you could sit idle and do whatever you like to do. God calls you to serve him. And no matter what's happening in the culture around you, you still serve Christ. That has not changed. You still serve Christ. He says, you are chosen then. You are called to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, that last phrase doesn't mean that you get saved by being obedient. It means that you express your salvation through your obedience. To show you have been sprinkled, uh, Peter's way of talking about our salvation, you've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are showing the world that you belong to Christ by your obedience. The term translated obedience is really pretty simple. You know what it means? Submission to authority. It means you no longer look at yourself as your own authority. You no longer look at the world as the authority around you. You now know that Christ is your authority, and your job is to serve Him. This is where it's a little bit different from the first two. Your identity is your choice in obedience. The first two, God is doing. He chose you for His purpose. He's sanctifying you to make you more like Christ. Now look at this. You choose to be obedient, and by being obedient to God and His Word, you choose to show the world that you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. A theme we're going to see in the letter of 1 Peter is the hope of God in Jesus Christ. 
If you watch that short video at the end, was the most famous verse in all of the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, where we are told to glorify the Lord in our hearts, honor Him in our hearts, and to always be ready to give an answer, a response for the hope we have in us. It's the pivotal verse of the whole book. That wherever you are, you're living out the hope of God in Jesus Christ. You're showing the world who Christ is by your obedience to him. Peter closes out this first section with a simple one-sentence prayer. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. You who are obedient to Christ, you who serve Christ faithfully, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. The phrase means be supplied abundantly, unendingly. May you who are serving Christ in the world, may you who are being obedient to Christ, may you who are willing to be courageous and confident in Christ, who's, who live for him against the pressure of the world, may you know abundantly his grace and his peace. So live for him. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and a follower of Christ. Maybe you're going through those struggles. Maybe right now you just need to be reminded God's with you. God knows you. He knows your circumstances. He hasn't left you. And your hope, your strength, your confidence is always in Christ. In 1983, uh, I worked that summer at Caswell, right down the road here. As a college student, I came on as a summer staffer at, at, at Caswell, and I was on a team of nine people called conference coordinators. Our job was to check in students as they arrived through the summer and, and buses from churches and, and then we had night security. Can you imagine me being your security? <laughs> but we would walk the grounds of the, of the Baptist Assembly at Caswell and, and uh, we had a lot of cornflakes that summer, in the middle of the night. But because we were summer staffers, we had to come a week early. Uh, and we, we were trained that week, but we also worked that week. We were the front end of getting the whole assembly ready for the thousands of students and the conferences that would be held during the summer. So in the heat at the beginning of the summer, we all arrived at Caswell. We painted, we mowed grass, we dug ditches. Uh, we got dirty in every way you can imagine. We had to fix stuff and throw stuff away. We hauled off stuff. We, for that whole week, all we did was work day in and day out except for eating and sleeping and laughing and praying and having devotionals. We worked outside and worked inside that first week of the summer. And during that week, uh, Baptists would contract other people to come to the assembly. Maybe they still do that. I don't know. Uh, so they would contract carpenters. And so when we were working on the assembly and working on the houses there, we would be working alongside one of these contracted carpenters that would come on the assembly just to work during the summer or during that week. And I'll never forget this one individual. His name was Frank, and there's a reason I never forget him, and I'm telling you what that reason is. His name was Frank. Frank was a pretty good carpenter, but Frank had one, just one liability. He did not like to work. And the hotter it got, the less Frank liked to work. 
So usually we'd start out in the morning about, about 7, 8 o'clock. We'd, we'd have had breakfast and our devotions and staff together. Then we'd get out there, we'd start working, and Frank would kind of show up. and He'd kind of trickle in at his leisure, and, and he, he'd arrive wherever he was stationed to work some. And, and this is what sticks out in my mind. Frank had a phrase. Frank had a phrase when we knew Frank was going to take a break. And Frank's phrase was, oop, I'm breaking a sweat. I'm breaking a sweat. I'm going to sit this one out, guys. You go ahead. I'm, I'm going to be over here in the shade. No big surprise, but after that week was over and staff got down to business, whenever the nine of us wanted a joke, we'd look at each other and say, ah, I'm breaking a sweat. I'm breaking a sweat. Christians typically fall into a couple of camps when it comes to be obedient to God. And there's that camp of Christians that as soon as things get a little tough, as soon as things get a little harsh, as soon as their faith is a little challenged, as soon as somebody disagrees with them and they have to actually know the Bible, I'm breaking a sweat. A little too hard for me. I'm going to go sit in the shade where it's comfortable. And I don't have to engage the culture. And I don't have to do the hard work of being a disciple and being obedient to Jesus. I'm breaking a sweat. This ain't for me. I'm going to sit this one out. Then there are the Christians that came to work. That's why they're there. God called them to service and obedience, and they know it. And God didn't say, now, where would you be the most comfortable? Where, where, where would you be the most relaxed? Don't want you to be inconvenienced or uncomfortable. Where? No, God said, you serve my purposes, and then you get to see what I can do. And when those Christians dive in, when those Christians serve God, when those Christians are obedient, they're being sanctified, they're being changed, and Jesus is showing through them, that changes the people around them. And sometimes it makes people mad. But see, those Christians know they, they came to work, not to sit in the shade. And they are there to be obedient to Christ. So the question is, which one are you? How have you been living your Christian life? Are you the one that says, whoop, I'm breaking a sweat. You'll find me over there. This is a little too tough for me. When everything eases up a bit, I'll, I'll, I'll call it obedience again, and I'll, I'll get back on board. But right now, that's a little tough. Are you one of those Christians that signed on to work, to believe, to trust, to watch God show up, to be obedient right now? And even when the pressure's on, you're still there for him because you're watching his purposes unfold in your life. Which one are you? May we all aspire. May we all remember. May our identity be in Christ, and may we say, I showed up to work. And if you realize this morning, and yes, it's the Holy Spirit showing you, most of the time you've been sitting it out, remember God's grace and peace 
will be multiplied to you. Grace means God forgives you. Peace means God takes away the torment, torment and he meets you right where you are and he meets you in your obedience. You can change that today. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes, before we open up a time of response, I want to pray for us for a moment this morning. First of all, I want to pray for you who would say, I'm in the midst of a tough place. I feel the pressure. Maybe it's work, maybe it's neighbors, maybe it's family. Maybe it's just something you're going through personally. You're having a hard time, some struggles with doubt and difficulty. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you this morning. If you would say, yes, that's me, that's me. Lift your hand up where you are. Nobody looking around, just lift your hand up. Good, good, thank you. Okay, you can put your hand down. Now here's time to be a little, to be a little tough, be real honest. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If it's your inclination, you've been the one that often says, hey, I'm breaking a sweat, I'm sitting it out. But you realize now that God is working his purposes through you. He wants to, you to see him work, and, and you want to set that aside. You want to ask God's forgiveness. You want to move forward from here to serving Christ faithfully. Lift your hand up where you are. I want to pray for you. Good. Heavenly Father, in this place today are Christians. At home today are Christians. And God, we live in exile in a world where we don't belong. And we always have. We know we're far from home. But God, we also know you've called us to serve you right here, right now. And that's not always easy. And God, you tell us in your word, it's, it's not going to be easy. The more we live for Christ, the more likely the pressure will come. So, Father, first I want to pray for those of us who would say, that's me. I'm in a tough spot, a tough place. It's hard at work. It's hard with neighbors, difficult with family. Some ridicule me because of my faith. Some deny me opportunities because of my faith. Some won't be friends with me because of my faith. And, God, I struggle. And God, I doubt. And God, I wonder where you are. So, Father, I pray for us today. I pray you'd fortify our faith. You would strengthen our identity in Christ. You would remind us, God, to serve you right where we are. Father, your, your word tells us to strive for peace with everyone. We don't need to be abrasive, but we need to stand for the truth where we are. So I pray for us, God, right where we are, that we would serve you faithfully. And I pray you'd give us that confidence in you. And God, I also pray for those of us who honestly admit we've been quick to say, hey, I'll sit this one out. I don't want the pressure. Father, forgive us for that. And Father, if that's been us and we don't even realize it, show us that and forgive us as well. God, I pray we get in the obedience with you. We would get to work for Jesus Christ. And this time, while there's time left, we would faithfully serve Christ right where we are. God, we thank you for calling us to your purposes. We thank you, God, for calling us to your service. We thank you, God, for the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. We thank you for that. And God, I pray that we would submit ourselves fully to you today to honor Christ in the time that we have. And Father, in this room or at home, there may be one or two that have never trusted Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. So Father, I pray a prayer with them and I ask God that if that's on their hearts today, they would pray this prayer of faith right where they are to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save them and forgive them of their sins. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know it, and I know that I can't 
save myself. So Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me, and I believe you're alive today. So Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of unrighteousness. I repent of my sin today. Turn my back on that old life so I follow Christ today. God, how I pray you do a work in all of our lives today. Those who have made commitments or decisions, Father, I pray we would follow through with those. Those that need to be baptized, God, show us that, that we follow through in believers' baptism. Those who need to join fellowship with First Baptist Church, I pray, Father, we make that decision today. Whatever decision honors you, moves us forward in faith, Father, show us that fresh commitment today. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.